Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, tells her own story of how this Christian couple cared for her and loved her into the kingdom of God. While she was in need, but while her life was about as far on the continuum from theirs as they could have imagined, but they loved her and they welcomed her in, and through that, she came to Christ. In her book, there's this one little sentence that is a simple yet profound description of Jesus. She says, Jesus met people empty, and he left them full. He met them empty and left them full. And I think that is at the heart of what we understand, how we understand this next petition in our prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our wrongdoing, as we forgive those who trespass, who hurt, and wound us. Jesus teaches us this prayer, and, and so he helps us spend the first part of this prayer just reflecting on who God is and what God is doing, what he's planned for us. But now Jesus is starting to teach us how to speak about our own issues and our own needs. And last week we, we heard him invite us to pray that God would provide for our daily needs. And as we're thinking about the things that we need here on earth, it doesn't take long for us to turn our attention from physical needs and earthly experiences to just those human realities in our relationships, our emotions, and our spiritual life that we need forgiveness. We're broken people, and we're not like our perfect Father. And as we come into his throne room, we're overwhelmed by how good and awesome and perfect he is. And we ask that we, we would be forgiven. But Jesus, in this prayer, is artful in the way that it teaches us how to be his people, even as it teaches us how to talk with our Father. And so Jesus taught us to pray a prayer that uses plural pronouns. We pray to our Father, not to mine, but to ours, so that as I'm praying, I'm aware that I'm not alone in this, and I can't be too selfish as I run to my Father. And as we pray for our forgiveness, we're not just praying in plural pronouns because we're all reciting it together in the same room, and, but just as individuals. No, we are praying for all of God's people all over the globe. And so it makes good sense that Jesus taught us to pray not only for our forgiveness, but that we would be forgiving people. Because as we come before the Father, and we ask that he would shower upon all his people forgiveness for all their sins, it would be silly for us to hold the offenses that we feel with them against them while we're praying for our Father to forgive them all, right? And so, it's a challenging topic for us to understand, especially as Jesus kind of wraps up the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 by saying, so, if you forgive people their sins, 
your heavenly Father will forgive you, and if you don't, you won't be forgiven. And it seems kind of transactional, and there's this extra rule that we're trying to figure out and understand. But I think it helps us to remember that Jesus met us empty, and he leaves us full. And when we meet Jesus empty and needing forgiveness, and he grants it to us and fills us up with his life, we have what it takes because forgiven people become forgiving people. So Jesus explains it a little more for us. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Jesus teaches us about this exchange of forgiveness uh, through a kind of a long parable. First, it starts uh, with a little episode with Peter coming to Jesus, and then Jesus explains what he means in this parable. So Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And so we'll just digress just a little bit. So it's important for us to recognize, I think, that the common rabbinical teaching at this time was that you should forgive people up to three times. So if they sin against you and you forgive them and they sin against you again, you can forgive them and they do it again, you can do it again, you can forgive them again. But after three times, you're off the hook. You don't have to forgive anymore. That was kind of the rabbinical teaching. And so we can see that Peter is struck by who Jesus is. And he knows that what he's experienced and heard from Jesus, the way Jesus lives and the way the kingdom of God operates, forgiveness and love and grace are more powerful and enduring than what he had been taught. But he's trying to figure out, like, what are the rules? How do I live in this kingdom? So I'm guessing it's more than three times that I should forgive, but what is it? Like more than twice that? Like seven times? And so Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Forgive until you, like, forgive after you lost count. Just keep forgiving. There's room for more. And so Jesus continues to explain with this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So as we seek to understand this parable, there are some important things. So the NIV renders the Greek here uh, for the first servant's debt. In the Greek, it's talents. The NIV is helping us understand that that's a lot of money, and so it, it describes it as bags of gold. Okay? But a talent was a specific measure of currency, and it happened to be the highest measure of currency. It was the most expensive coin you could have. And so, and 10,000 happens to be the largest number in Greek at this time. So, so Jesus says this first servant, and some scholars suggest that perhaps this situation was, you know, the, the king was overseeing this kingdom, and then he, he had governors who would, have to, would be responsible for collecting taxes and stuff. And so perhaps this first servant owed all the tax money and for some reason didn't have it. Okay? But Jesus says that this first servant owes everything. He owes as much money as they could describe in their language at that time that anyone could possibly owe. Talent was the highest currency. 10,000 was the highest number. And so this servant comes before the king. The king says, you owe me this money. It's time to pay. And the servant says, no, please, I will repay everything, I promise. Now we know, and everyone that heard Jesus knew, there was no way this guy could ever repay this money. It was the most money anyone could imagine even trying to count. It was everything. But the king took pity on the servant and didn't just say, I will give you more time to prove to me that you can repay it. King canceled all the debt and set the servant free. And so you can imagine how offensive this was to imagine to the other servants in the story and to the hearers of Jesus' parable that this servant who had just been forgiven everything would walk down the street, find a fellow servant, and say, You owe me money. <laughs> Pay. And then throw him into jail. Now, Again, in the Greek, uh, so it's described as 100 silver coins for us in the NIV. In the Greek, it's 100 denarii. A denarius was the coin that basically summed up a day's wage. And so, if we try to translate the amounts into today, did I say that somewhere? Nope, I didn't. Okay. I left it off on purpose. So if we assume uh, that somebody's working for $15 an hour, okay, so 100 denarii is basically three months of work then, right? And so $15 an hour, it's a hefty amount that this person owes, $12,000, okay? 
So the second servant owes $12,000, and we could imagine somebody owed us $12,000, that would be stressful. But a talent is worth 6,000 times a denarius. The first servant owed 600,000 times more than the second servant. And if we did the same math, said $15 an hour for as much as this first servant owed, today it would come out to about $7.2 billion. 192,000 years of work. Okay? So when the servant says, I promise I'll pay you back everything, we know it's ridiculous. And yet the king cancels the debt. There's no way this guy can ever pay it. $12,000 is a lot of money. Three months wages, but it's measurable. And it could actually be paid. We could set up a payment plan and it'd be fine. But the first servant says no. I need that now. And I, we don't know why he was so stressed about it, if he was just so embarrassed by what happened with the king and he just wanted to prove that he could still do it, what it was, we don't know. But Jesus says, when you've been forgiven everything, then you should learn to be like the king, the father who forgave you and not exact smaller debts from other people who owe you. Throughout Scripture, God says vengeance is His. It belongs to Him. Why? Because He's the one who can judge rightly. He's the only one who knows, really, what should happen. And soon... After our text in, in Matthew chapter 6, as we're learning about the Lord's Prayer and forgiveness, at the beginning of chapter 7, as the Sermon on the Mount continues, Jesus says, don't judge. Let God do the judging, because any measure you choose will be used against you, and you can't stand up against it. So God says, vengeance is mine. I will take care of it. I'll figure out what's right and just and what people owe. And Jesus taught his disciples that people would recognize that they belong to him by their love. Not by how right they are or how much they know. By their love. That they would treat people with the grace and mercy that they received from Jesus from this loving Father who forgives our debt. Scripture teaches us that we owe God a debt that we can never pay. We owe Him everything. That sin causes us to be separated from Him. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. The consequence of our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our desire to be our own God and to act like we're smarter than him and to trust ourselves more than him. The wages of sin is death. And we can't fix that in us. We can't do enough good things that are good enough 
often enough to heal that in us. And so we come before a father as we stand before this king in his throne room. We owe him 10,000 talents. We owe him everything, more than we could ever pay. And because of Jesus, death on the cross and resurrection as he left the empty tomb, as we trust in Jesus, we're set free. Our debt is canceled. Canceled. Not, I'll give you more time to figure it out. Not, we'll see how it goes tomorrow. But we're set free. We're credited with the righteousness of Christ, with God himself. And so the wounds that other people cause us matter. We can measure them. And sometimes they feel big enough that we don't know how to measure them. Forgiveness isn't saying it doesn't matter, that it's okay, or calling something that was evil good. It's saying... I owe everything to the God who made me. And he's given everything back to me in Jesus. So I'm going to trust this debt to him. You don't owe me. He'll deal with that account. So... What we learn in this passage and what we pray in this prayer is we ask God that he would give us forgiveness because of Jesus. And we ask him that in that, he would fill us up and make us forgiving people. That we would be like him and that as we treat people, as we treat each other, they would get a glimpse of Jesus in our world. And so what we learn is that no one deserves forgiveness, but since God gives it generously, we give it too. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because what they did to us doesn't matter. It's because Jesus has paid it all, and we can trust him to be the judge. And what Jesus reminds us in this prayer and in his teaching is that when we forgive, we're living like our Father. We become like him. A number of years ago, early 2000s, around 2006, I believe, there's this Amish community in Pennsylvania. And a man from the community, not Amish, but a man in the community, uh, entered this one-room school, shot ten girls, and five of them died. And the world was struck as the Amish community responded and said in unison that they forgave the shooter, showed up at his wife's house and told her that they forgave him and would care for her and her kids. And within a year, 
they came back with some money to help her family out. And the world was struck by this move of grace and love and forgiveness, and yet skeptical too, like how can these people not care about what happened? But it's not that they didn't care about what happened, and uh, I read an article about a follow-up a year later, and how they were, this community was working through their grief in a variety of ways. What happened to them was significant. It was one of those things that are, that's hard to measure. They took lives and dreams away, this shooter did. But the people knew that they had been forgiven everything. And they knew that God met them empty and left them full. And so even though they felt empty in this moment, they could go to this man's family and offer a grace and mercy from the Lord God, their Savior, and trust that he would work. Forgiven people become forgiving people. And so we pray that God would forgive us, and that as we meet with him and experience that grace from him, that he would fill us up and make us like him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. This teaching is overwhelming. We can all think of times that we did not do this well. There are pieces of it that are confusing to know how to apply. But we want to be like you. We pray that you forgive us. We don't deserve it. We owe you more than we can pay. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even seem fair that you would put the weight of our sin on Jesus. But through him, you can set us free. And so we pray that you would forgive us not just me, not just individuals, but that you would forgive all of us, all of your people, and that more and more people would hear about what a great and gracious God you are and receive forgiveness as well from you. And we pray, Lord, that as you fill us up with your spirit, with your truth, with your grace, that you would fill us up to overflowing, that we would be a forgiving people, that we would shine your light, and that in us, people would get a glimpse of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.